صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. I'm very excited that we're joined by a dear friend and special Palestinian supporter, Nick Rima, who's an academic at the University of Sydney. He's a Palestine solidarity activist, and I mean that in the truest sense of activism. He's on the committee of the BDS Australia, a fantastic Australian and supporter of all good causes, in particular Palestine. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm well, Nasser. Thanks for the introduction. It's great to have you, and I don't think any introduction does a service to the sort of work you do. Nick, we're here to talk about BDS, BDS Australia, and in particular a campaign that you're running at the moment. Firstly, tell us, tell our listeners who've heard a lot about BDS, but I think it's always pertinent that they keep hearing about what BDS is, where it came from, what it's hoping to do. Okay, sure, because that's the root of it, isn't it? I mean, BDS is a campaign that was initiated by Palestinians themselves. So in 2005, there were about 173 Palestinian organizations. And we're talking organizations from the complete whole sweep of Palestinian society, charities, religious organizations, NGOs, political organizations, unions, professional associations. All these groups came together and issued a call that said, look, the official processes of politics have completely failed to secure justice for Palestinians. Um, The Oslo process has proved to be a complete disaster in terms of Palestinian rights. Um, The PA is basically a collaborationist organization. It's time for ordinary people to become political actors and to take the law into their own hands by exerting pressure on Israel to uh, give Palestinians who live there equal rights, to allow the right of return, and to um, end the occupation and the siege of Gaza. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to boycott um, Israel, the Israeli economy, Israeli culture, Israeli academia, um, and we're going to press for divestment and sanctions from Israeli uh, organizations and sanctions against the Israeli government as a way of building civil society pressure on Israeli society, um, because it's really clear that the pressure for change in Israel is going to have to be provoked from the outside. It's not going to arise organically um, with Israeli politics in the state that it is. So that's what BDS is. It's a campaign that's based on the failure of official politics. And it's saying that ordinary people in Palestine and outside it can exert their agency to create change for, for justice for Palestine. Yeah, brilliant. Great summation. BDS Australian, Nick, how long has that been around for? Well, BDS Australia has been around. I mean, so the BDS campaign has been active in Australia for a long time now. Um, not quite since 2005, but for, you know, for very, since very shortly after that. BDS Australia as an organisation has really only existed since 2017. Um, 
after a, a conference actually um, at the University of Sydney, a, a, a national BDS conference. Um, and that brings together a whole range of existing pro-Palestine organizations and Palestine um, solidarity activists and individuals um, to run campaigns on the national on the national level. And we've done lots of things. You know, we ran a big campaign uh, against Eurovision when it was hosted in Tel Aviv a couple of years ago. We've had some real successes. So in 2017, um, BDS activists persuaded the Royal Flying Doctor Service not to sign a flight simulator contract with a company called Elbit Systems, which is Israel's uh, biggest private arms manufacturer and weapons system dealer, and is responsible for, you know, supplying the hardware and the software for countless atrocities against, you know, Palestinian people. Um, they, they advertise their their weapon systems and their hardware is battle tested, which means that it's basically been, you know, used to kill Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. Um, so it was a it was a big BDS victory that that the Royal Flying Doctor Service recognised that that shaking hands with a company like that was just completely incompatible with their sort of overall humanitarian mission. And we have all sorts of other campaigns that are running. You know, at the moment we've got a campaign against Puma the sportswear manufacturer, which is um, involved in sponsorship deals with Israeli um, football teams that are based in illegal settlements. We've got a campaign against HP, the IT firm, which um, supplies a lot of the IT infrastructure that Israel uses to, to, to persecute and oppress Palestinians. So it's a really, it's a, it's a multifaceted set of campaigns that BDS Australia runs. We should make it clear that BDS boycotting, divesting and sanctioning, what we're saying to consumers is you've got a choice. Yeah, Don't choose Puma when you're going shopping. Don't choose Hewlett Packard. Most people obviously aren't going to be able to choose Albert Weapon Systems people, but we applaud uh, the Royal Flying Doctor Service for understanding that the parallels are just incompatible. That's exactly right. And it's not just, I mean, so, you know, it's not just about the the economic pressure that those acts of consumer boycott bring about. It's also about the sort of cultural pressure that they generate in impressing on people exactly what's going on in Gaza and the West Bank and in Israel itself. And by making the politics of that real, by making it actually affect people's lives in the choices they make in the supermarket queue and when and when they're buying things because it if it has that degree of reality it becomes something that's just all that much more concrete for them all the more likely to sort of shape their 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 worldview politically and to to just you know adjust their understanding of how right and wrong in the world is distributed you know so we don't just want people to not buy Israeli products. We want them to talk about it with their friends. We want to, we want the perception of the incredible injustice that Palestinians have been suffering for decades and decades now. We want that to become, you know, a fact that people understand. And the the consumer boycott is one way of making it real and concrete for people, I think. We should make sure that our listeners understand the parallels here. What we're trying to do is emulate what South Africa was able to do, what Nelson Mandela Bishop Desmond Tutu, etc. What we need, that level of humanity, that level of campaign, it got to, you know, the rugby tours. South Africa became really a, a vile word to put in anybody's mouth. We should re remember that South Africa, apartheid South Africa's last friend 
was apartheid Israel. And it was through this ground up approach that we were able to liberate South Africa. Not that I'm entirely happy with where it's at today, but Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, they had pictures in their hallways of them shaking hands with FW de Klerk. Mm. It wasn't a bottom down thing. Margaret Thatcher and mm. Ronald Reagan, they didn't decide to suddenly sanction South Africa because they saw the, the light. The cold hard reality is it was the people that forced that change. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that I think it's important to stress that that took decades. Um, BDS for Palestine is still a fairly young campaign. And a lot of people, I think, for lots of reasons, are sort of reluctant to get on board with it. And one of the things they often say is that, look, I'm just not sure that it's the right tactic. I'm not sure that it's going to work. And that sort of ignores the fact that if you don't try it properly, and if the tactic doesn't have the chance to actually be executed at the appropriate level of scale, we're never going to know whether it works. So the, the key fact, I think, is that Palestinians en masse are asking people who support them to get behind the BDS tactic. So it's really sort of irrelevant whether you doubt that it's, you're not sure whether it's going to work or not, unless you actually do as Palestinians are asking and try to amplify that campaign and make it as powerful as it possibly can be. We never get the chance to test it, you know. So until it attains a critical mass, we just won't know. And then by all means, you know, if we have really powerful boycott actions, um, which are massively followed and which seem not to be having the political effects that we wanted them to have, then by all means, let's try and find another tactic. That's how real politics works. There's no certainties. But the key, the key point about it is that Palestinians are asking their supporters to boycott. When an oppressed people, you know, say what they want you to do, there's a very, very powerful reason to do as they ask you, especially when there's not any tactic that's remotely as successful or plausible on the horizon. I mean, BDS really is the only game in town. Um, so if you refuse that, you're just refusing, you're turning your back on the, un the unison request of Palestinian civil society. It's a really, it's a pretty humiliating and contemptuous thing to do when you've got 5 million people who have been suffering the most intense sort of repression for decades now and they're saying we want you to do this and you say oh no so i'm just not sure you know i support you but i'm just not sure that this is the right tactic that's just political immaturity immaturity and unseriousness of a really culpable kind i think so brilliantly put i mean denying us at the agency of the choice of activism we want exactly we've disavowed violence we've been negotiating for 30 years and getting less and less and less the pizza is getting eaten while we're trying to get a piece of it Right. Choosing not to give Palestinians their agency and supporting them is just, you know, the height of colonial mindset. Yeah, it's like Colonial arrogance, colonial arrogance and violence. Yeah, that's right. You're running a campaign at the moment, Nick. BDS Australia has called upon University of New South Wales professor, Alison Bashford. She's been awarded the Dan David Prize. Tell us a little bit about the Dan David Prize first and then about the campaign. Right. Well, the Dan David Prize is a high-profile Israeli prize that is awarded by the foundation of the same name, which is headquartered and administered at, at Tel Aviv University. And it's a prize that is awarded each year um, to, three, to three categories of winners for sort of contributions to human advancement 
um, in the categories of work on the past, work on the present, and work in uh, about the future. And this year's prize, which was announced in um, in in February, rewards you know Trump's um, head of, or not just Trump's actually, a long-standing um, U.S. presidential medical advisor and infectious disease efforts, Anthony Fauci. Um, it awards three um, medical scientists for um, for important work um, over infectious disease, diseases. And in the past category, it awards three historians, essentially, who work on the history of he health and medicine. Um, one of them is a woman called Catherine Park, who works on the history of medicine in the Renaissance. Another is uh, a historian of sort of health and inequality in the U US called Keith Wylou. And the third one, which is particularly relevant to us here in Australia, is uh, Professor Alison Bashford, who's a very distinguished uh, historian at the University of New South Wales here in Sydney, um, who works on uh, a lot of, who works on the history of public health and public health measures as they relate to issues like colonialism, gender, um, and globe, globalization. So one of the things she's particularly interested in, for instance, is how forms of segregation have contributed to, or have been have been used um, as a tool of public health. Um, you know, she says that se segregation through things like when you put a population or a group of people into quarantine, she says that's you know not just part of public health, but it's also part of a system of race management. Um, so she's alive to the way that health can be manipulated for essentially racist reasons. But that places her in a really intolerable contradiction, I think, when she accepts this prize, because the Dan David Prize comes from the heart of the Israeli political establishment and academic establishment. Um, you know, so on the board is a former uh, US, uh, former Israeli ambassador to the US. Um, Henry Kissinger, actually, the war criminal Henry Kissinger is also on the board of the Dan David Foundation, which tells you something about its sort of political valency, I think. But, you know, Alison Bashford has, has accepted this award, which is explicitly about her contributions to our understanding of the history of public health. And to do that from a, you know, to accept a high profile award from a country which is currently refusing to um, fulfill its obligation to vaccinate more than 5 million people in Gaza and the West Bank against COVID is just a, to my mind, a stunning contradiction. You know, on the page, Alison Bashford says things like, you know, um, it took a chorus of um, international calls to bring about the end of apartheid in South Africa. And she says that approvingly in one of her essays. But where is she when there's a call to end apartheid in Israel? Palestinians are asking her to refuse a prize, and she's not doing so. And in fact, so far, I'm sorry to say that she's ignored completely the campaign that we've been running trying to ask her to do this. We've had over 300 scholars sign an open letter, which in a really documented way, really detailed way, goes through all the facts about why she should turn this, this prize down. And she said nothing. You know, she's just stuck her head in the sand 
and has hasn't even given us the dignity of a of a response. So that's how little the question of apartheid seems to actually matter for her when it's a question of Palestinians. You know, um, there are lots of reasons she shouldn't shouldn't take the prize. Tel Aviv University, yeah. which administers it, is a major actor in enforcing apartheid against Palestinians. They do re weapons research. They can, they give free tuition to students who fight for the IDF against Pal Palestinians in wars. They train students to participate in the ideological justification of Israeli war crimes. They're a major player. They're locked into the Israeli security and military establishment. This prize is just tainted. It's, it's, it's dirty. It's astonishing that somebody who professes to, to care about things like anti-racism and public health can, can be associated with it. And it's so contrary to so much of her work. I mean, I read an article that you authored, you and uh, Dr. Samah Samawi, Al Jazeera, and I'm going to put a link to your press releases, but also the article in the podcast. So make sure you go to the 3cr.org.au backslash Palestine Remembered podcast and you can find these two press releases, but also the brilliant article that was published in Al Jazeera. She really has been on record, A, condemning South Africa, but her, the quotes you bring from her work speak to a really humane person, but she's abrogated all of that. Is it money? Is it prestige? What do you think her motivation is? How can she... Well, look, I mean, yeah, that's, that's obviously the question that I'm asking, and I think the other over 300 signatures to that to that open letter we wrote her are asking. Um, I, I can't speculate on what her, her motivations are. I mean, we do know that she's being lobbied by Zionists, you know, to ignore us, <laughs> which if nothing else should at least, um, should at least, you know, make it clear to her that she has entered into a highly politicized field here and that, there's nothing she can do which doesn't involve taking a side. And at the moment, she has chosen to side with Israel's anti-Palestinianism. She's, you know, siding with anti-Palestinian racism. Um, it's obvious that, you know, uh, for all sorts of reasons, um, our, our public culture, especially in Australia, makes it sort of hard in some ways to support Palestinians um, because we're so afraid of being tarred as anti-Semitic. If, for example, we get on board with BDS. Um, and then there are all sorts of other objections that uh, are made against the academic boycott specifically, which Professor Bashford is being asked to uphold here. People say that, you know, breaking ties with Israeli academic institutions on the official level is an affront to academic freedom. But, you know, that ar argument doesn't even apply here. All we're asking Professor Bashford and, and the other recipients to do is not to accept some money. No one's academic freedom is infringed or curtailed by not accepting some money. All we're asking these recipients to do is just look, please don't be deaf to Palestinians' call for solidarity. Palestinians have identified a mechanism, boycott, which they're asking you to apply. This doesn't cost you anything. All this costs you is to sacrifice a little bit of prestige of one kind in exchange for a massive dose of prestige on the other. Because as we say in our open letter to Professor Bashford, 
Refusing the prize would immediately earn you the respect and gratitude of everyone who believes in anti-racism and everyone who thinks that, you know, university research should serve the cause of justice. Um, but as I say, we just don't know what Professor Bashford really thinks because she hasn't bothered even replying to us. She hasn't even given us that, that, um, that courtesy. And to me, that is, uh, you know, deeply problematic in somebody who has been positioned and positions herself, in fact, as a public intellectual. You know, there's an evasiveness there and, a, and to be honest, a violence in the refusal to even countenance this, um, this to even countenance the fact that a, a, a demand or a request is being made for her. The violence in the, the fact, in, in the way she's ignoring us and pa Palestinians is really, I think, uh, really regrettable. I'll just read a, a short quote that's in that Al Jazeera article in 2003 that she wrote, it is difficult to imagine the dismantling of apartheid in South Africa without the chorus of international calls to release high profile political prisoners on Robben Island. I mean, somebody who could write that and her work in public health and then understanding that Israel is refusing to vaccinate Palestinians in Gaza. It's, it's, they just don't, they must be, they're running parallel. Then where's the intersection? I mean, she wouldn't be the first person to do it either, Nick. No, that's right. I mean, so in 2016, a British historian turned down the Dan, the Dan David Prize for precisely these kinds of reasons. I think that one thing that perhaps may not be clear to people before it's pointed out is that the Dan David Prize is, as I said before, it comes from the heart of the Israeli political and academic establishment. And that's not a neutral thing. That's an establishment which is Zionist to its core. And what I mean by that is that it espouses the ideology of state anti-Palestinianism. So to go back to the example of Tel Aviv University. So Tel Aviv University, like all of you know, Israeli universities, is just knee deep in its support for, in its support for uh, Israel's policy of you know, ethnic cleansing, essentially, towards Palestine. Um, it runs very high-profile think tanks, um, which push um, Zionism as a, as a policy. It collaborates with weapons manufacturers and closely collaborates with the, the military, the Israeli Defense Force and Israeli security agencies in all sorts of ways. Um, and indeed, the, the president of Tel Aviv University some years ago is on record as saying that he's in awe at the depth of the collaboration that exists between researchers at, at his university and the Israeli military. So it's an arm of the Israeli state. It's an arm of the Zionist state. It's not an independent institution which can be sort of dissociated from what's going on in Gaza and the, and the West Bank and, with the, and from the apartheid that Palestinians in Israel themselves face. It just can't. It's part of a single system. Um, and that's why it's a, you know, it's a sort of major event. It's Israel's most, the Dan David Prize is Israel's most important prize. It's a big, it's a big deal. And it's right there at the center of the ideology of Israeli Zionism. Hopefully she hears this, this interview and, and responds some way how she could be involved with a country that under the, the fourth Geneva Convention has a responsibility to the people that occupies to 
give them any sort of vaccinations and inoculations. But Israel is using its spare inoculations and vaccinations to reward countries that have recognized Jerusalem as its capital, the Czech Republic, Honduras, and Hungary. Just beggars belief that somebody that's on the public record having done so much good stuff is, as you said, violently choosing not to engage with you and, and the authors and the 300 plus academics and researchers that have signed so far. I mean, it really is disturbing. And Nick, we've had some good news from across the ditch in New Zealand. Yeah, we certainly have, NASA. Today, we learnt that um, New Zealand's National Superannuation Fund has uh, divested from five Israeli banks because they fund um, illegal settlements, um, Israeli settlements in, in the West Bank. And that's really important and fantastic news, which has been brought about by the inspiring work of BDS activists in, in New Zealand. In Australia, I think we've got a lot to learn from the fantastic New Zealand BDS campaign. I mean, this is another facet of the boycott divestment sanctions campaign overall. And if we can, you know, send the message to um, the world of is, is Israeli finance that uh, apartheid is not profitable, then we're pressing on another really powerful lever. I mean, you know, in the kind of world we live in, there's such a tight connection, isn't there, between politics and economics. The, the world of, of high finance and the world of politics are, you know, just joined it, joined at the hip. So, exerting pressure on one is exerting pressure on the other. And this is a really powerful, this is a really powerful victory. I mean, the, the National Pension Fund in New Zealand is worth something like $33 billion. So it's, a, it's, not, it's not small cookies. It's not little. And one of the things Israel craves is that legitimacy. You know, our banks are like your banks, our we're nice and white and stuff. Well, the only similarity you've got with Australia and New Zealand, Canada and America is you're a settler colonial estate that is predicated on the dispossession of an indigenous population. That's right, which is continuing. Because, I mean, you know, those, I mean, like we just heard today or in very, very recently, you know, that there's a whole lot of money being unblocked to acquire, to basically to expand settlements, to expand Israeli illegal settlements, which is in complete contravention of, of all of the agreements that Israel claims to, to respect. And it's just part of this ongoing slow ethnic cleansing of Palestine that's been, that's been happening basically since the first Zionists arrived in, in, in Palestine at the, at the start of the 20th century. Unless global civil society actually takes it in hand, it's going to continue. This, this really is, I think, one of the most important global human rights battles in the world today. And a victory of, over BDS, victory for Palestinians would, for Palestinians would just affect so many other things. It would set a new benchmark for global human rights. Just give you one quick example. If, we igno if, if, if the right of return of Palestinian refugees who were expelled from their homes in 48 in the Nakba if that right to return to their homes was recognised, that would set an incredible precedent that would really just refresh global refugee rights activism everywhere because it would set a completely new standard about what refugees were owed. So Palestine is not a boutique issue. It's an issue that is something that is just at the forefront of struggles for human rights and a victory over, over Palestinian rights would just set so many precedents in so many areas which seem to be unrelated. It's just a massively important global human rights struggle, I think.
Exactly, Nick. We should refer to one of my favourite quotes from Nelson Mandela, which was, we know too well our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinian people. And that's from Nelson Mandela. Right. As we wrap up, Nick, how can people learn more, support and join BDS Australia? Well, we have our uh, webpage, BDS Australia. Just look for that on the web. You'll find it easily. There are all sorts of campaigns that people can um, get involved with. Uh, for example, you can write a letter to HP pledging not to uh, buy HP products until they stop collaborating with Israel's um, you know, surveillance and control of, of, of Palestinians. And for people who are inclined to get active in a bit in a, a, a stronger way, we really like individuals to join up as members of BDS Australia, which um, makes it easier to, to um, get involved in our campaigns and, and participate. You can also become a financial supporter of BDS Australia. We need money. These campaigns um, don't come out of nowhere and they, they cost money. We, like everyone else, need money. So you can become a supporter and make a, make a, a donation. Um, in, if you're in if you're in Sydney, you can, you know, participate in regular BDS stalls. They happen in other cities as well. So there are lots of ways of getting involved. There's a BDS Melbourne group, which does a similar range of activities. So there are lots of ways of becoming in involved. And something I think I can tell you is that, you know, BDS, act, there aren't enough of us and we'll welcome you with open arms if you show willing to get involved and put your shoulder to the wheel in this campaign. And get on the right side of history. Thanks so much, Nick. Nick Reamer, academic, University of Sydney, Palestinian activist, extraordinaire, and committee member at BDS Australia. Thanks again, mate. Thanks so much, Nasser.